0: Welcome to HerWay Podcast. Today we interviewed Ting-An Lin, who told us all about his conceptions about technology, AI's social impact, and our interdisciplinary research at Stanford University. Thanks for tuning in.
1: HerWay Podcast is dedicated to promoting the stories of innovative women across all different career fields.
0: We hope to learn from their stories and provide young women like ourselves with strong role models. We're your co-hosts, Caroline and Sophie.
1: Ting An Lin is an Interdisciplinary Ethics Postdoc Fellow at Stanford University, whose research specializes on the intersection of AI and ethics. We hope you enjoy the interview.
0: So hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Her Way. And today we're super excited to be interviewing Ting An, an Interdisciplinary Ethics postdoctoral Fellow at Stanford University. Ting, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today.
2: Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure to join Her Way.
0: So before we kind of get started, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your background, where you grew up, how you came to the Bay Area.
2: Yeah, so I am born and raised in Taiwan. And actually, I um, undergraduate, my major was in biology or life science. And so I was doing lots of the lab work when I was an undergrad. And then in the end of almost the end of my undergrad career, undergraduate studies, I started to feel a bit tired, a kind of life to spending like all my time in lab. And I just accidentally meet some other grad students who study philosophy. And that is my first interaction with philosophy because I never took any philosophy courses before. And so I actually first come to the Bay Area in the last year of my undergrad. So I get the opportunity to become an exchange student and I come visit UC Berkeley. And that's uh, the first year that I started to officially take in all the philosophy classes. Mm -hmm. And that is how... What like it started to draw me from biology to philosophy. So my background is kind of, um, kind of from there, I first moved to a sub area in philosophy called philosophy of mind, which is more relevant to biology in a certain way, because field of mind asks the question about what's the relationship between brain and mind? How do we understand like self or consciousness, um, intelligence in general? So I kind of um, uh, my trajectory is from biology to field of mind. And later on, And my PhD studies, I move on to um, the areas more relevant to what we call value theory, uh, ethics, social political philosophy, and feminist philosophy. I think asking all the normative questions about human and meaning.
1: That's awesome. Thank you. Can you sort of build off of your current job and teaching at Stanford? And what inspired you to get into this specific field of both philosophy and ethics? And how did you sort of narrow that field into... I think you talked about like the social, political, and
2: feminist um, philosophy in relation to AI. Yeah, that's right. And yeah, when answering your first probable question, like to the Bay Area, and yes, and then right now, uh, back to the Bay Area, because um, I started this position, like postdoctoral position in Stanford. And actually, I just began a few months ago, and but it's like pretty excited to be back to this area. Um, So my current um, position at Stanford actually has a joint affiliation. One part in the ethics center, and another part is uh, with the institution called uh, Human-Centered Artificial Intelligence. So they're kind of just speak to two um, engagement a different kind of engagement in my research. And it is um, like specifically like one main reasons for me to choose this position is because i think in one part as i mentioned in phd um, i was doing all this kind of ethical uh, research ethics related research and i was actually trying to figure out i was working on various different uh, projects for example like sexual violence um, migration and then but like technology is also something i feel um, like changing the current society quite a lot So I was trying to like bring my research um, from the that social structure to something that I think maybe I can use this lens to analyze the emergent technology and AI. So I think that that is um, how I see those two branches of my research interact with each other.
1: Mm, That's amazing. You're able to
2: sort of combine your interests.
1: Could you also explain to us in the audience specifically how your work deals with the intersection of both artificial intelligence ethics and political and
2: feminist philosophy yeah that's right so i think specifically i'm still identified as a philosopher mostly so i think lots of my research is still taking this um philosophical approach so lots of the questions i ask are more at the normative level i ask how, how do we what kind of eth- uh, what kind of technological development will be ethical or will be like conducive to democracy but at the same time in order to answer those questions more concretely, I need to understand um, what is the what, what in reality the technology is doing and I need to know some of the specifics of um, how the engineers like approach um, these questions and how do they really um, do it in their day-to-day life. So for example, when we are lots of time we talk about like, algorithmic fairness right or algorithmic bias um, in media. So it is actually quite easy, uh, as a philosopher, to come in and just like um uh, bring in some of the normative framework and say that how bad like the current AI is doing, and we can critique those different models um, and the impacts on society. On the other hand, if you want to provide some of the um suggestions that's more um, like constructive, and you can give some of the feedback for the engineers about so how can they do what, what how can they do to, like differently to make their um de- design of AI become more fair or like more conducive to social justice? Then now you need to provide the kind of um recommendations that they can use in practice. So that so I need to understand like um what the details of them? How do they really approach? What are some of the constraints they are facing? So that is so I try to um, talk to like different community, and my current affiliation kind of gives me these kind of opportunities to talk to different uh, groups of people.
1: Yeah, that's incredible. And the um, issue of a lot of bias in media is definitely really relevant today. Thanks for sharing.
0: I think, like you mentioned, I think your work is really at an, this incredible intersection of you know, social justice and ethics and AI, and what I've noticed is that commonly social justice and ethics is thought of as a more humanities type discipline, whereas AI Mm. is very technical. And so as someone who has a lot of experience in both of these aspects, you know, what would you say is most surprising to you about how they work together in, you know, daily life?
2: Great question. And you're right. I think lots of time we can assume that kind of division. And um, but actually, I mean, yeah, on both hands. So on the one hand, it is uh, very important to recognize that the technology is not like um, value free. Sometimes people will describe that technology as like a purely objective or mathematical and nothing related to value. But that is actually not true, right? We know like how when we like design and we are making lots of the choices that kind of reflect on humans' values. And on um and lots of like engineers, they will also think that they want to design a technology that is like a conducive to human value or it will be helpful for a human to thrive. So in order to pursue that goal more appropriately, they need they do need to think about like reflect on what humanity is about, or some values that Human and societies care about, and on the other hand, I think humanity or what, um, like what's the meaning about human and human life? What's the meaning that we um ascribe to the world? I think that also um, the kind of answers also get evolved with technology. So, like back in the time when uh, we do not have like the internet, um, lots of us will think that humanity um we we need to build up the kind of ability to um, look for the correct answer or search for like information. But right now, information is overwhelmed. It's like it's so easy to get access. So we now think that um, like a, the kind of skill of getting information is probably not the most um, important thing, or not the most like a crucial task that we need to develop. But instead, right now, the kind of issues we are facing is like misinformation right? Or like an echo chamber. And we are thinking about we need to build up the um, capacity in order to distinguish between good news and good sources of the um, information and versus like a bad kind. Or how do we survive from this kind of overwhelming environment of information? So in a way, like new forms of technology always will inspire humans to reflect on our value. So yeah, that's how I see um, so, yeah, so actually, humanity and technology, I think they are so closely interrelated.
0: You know, that's, that's really interesting, because I mean, like you said, I've always thought of technology as just like, code and just numbers and, and objective values on a on sheet. But I think what you've said about how they've been kind of interconnected from the very beginning is really interesting.
2: Yeah, I think that people from different areas can learn from each other like quite a lot because when we are training our discipline, we kind of uh, will be very used to just ask a question or like a seed of question from one perspective. But lots of time is that when you bring people from different perspectives together, and you like algorithmic fairness and people are all concerned about this issue and they want to work on this issues. But each of us might um, tackle a question at different level or that we might prioritize different things. And it's like, the, it can only rely on bringing many of the people together. We can have a more comprehensive picture about how, should, how can we achieve those goals.
0: Yeah, that's amazing. Thank you.
1: Um, I think you touched a little bit on this earlier, but could you add on to how AI sort of has, um, how it has a social impact and how it might shape societal structures or specifically give a few examples of the biases it plays on certain minorities or communities of people?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a very good question and very like a relevant question that people ask a lot about. So, yeah, when I, um, First, let me say a little bit about like social structure. I think social structure is kind of a very abstract term. Uh, then, like sociologists or social scientists, talks about that a lot. And when they're talking about that, they kind of mean some of the complicated interactions between many different components. Some of those are like the social norms or the legal norms. Uh, some of those are like uh, schemas, How what kind of values that we use when we are represented in our language. When we say that, when we um, think about scientists, we might think we, there's some of the image that scientists might appear, maybe like a white male wear, wear in a lab robe, um, things like that. So that kind of reflects on our um, value um, association as well. And also another important component of social structure are the kind of material conditions. Like infrastructure, or how some of the resources um get distributed, so social structure is um very interesting the, um like um, um like interact with human beings um in several interesting ways, so that if there's no human being, we won't have social structure. Social structure only exists when human beings like interact with each other, and on the other hand, social structure also like impose a huge influence on humans' decisions. So, for example, when you're talking about career choice, like why would you think that some careers are more attractive to the, than others? It is a a little bit like shaped first, but maybe by the kind of time you're born in. So right now you think that computer science is a very exciting uh career. But if back in, I don't know, like a few decades ago, probably it's not that attractive, probably it doesn't open so many of the job options. So those are just some um, like a small examples of how social structure influence human decision. And then Emerge, like a new forms of technology, uh, like AI, um, actually play a crucial role in shaping the social structure. And you can see that from different angles. So for example, when some of the recommendation system or like search engine that ranks some of the, the items or news at more um, tech places that lots of people will read it, um, it kind of will, um, it will shape people's associations. Between what is the correct answers and what kind of sources of the news or informations are more like credible. Um, and on the other hand, um, when we are there's some famous example that um, like um, probably like a decade ago when you are using Google search engine and if you type in like a black woman and it will uh, associate black women with lots of like a degrading image um, or terms, um, and those are all of the examples of how new technology might reproduce or reinforce or further exacerbate some of the uh, problems in our social structure. And it can also happen through like um, resources distribution, right? So like right now, AI is widely used in healthcare domain. And people, people like, um, like practitioners will rely on AI in a certain way to help them either do the decision-making to say whether there are some of the cancer cells in the image, or for example, how should we distribute or prioritize the resources to different populations of the patients. And how AI helped with the decision making, what kind of reference that reference standards that AI was trained about might have the like, crucial impact of who really gets the um, like needed care. So there, so yeah, AI and all kinds of other technology can always just, like playing a role in shaping social structure. And the examples I say where lots of them are like negative examples, but you can think that because social structure is something like in happening dynamic. Mm -hmm. So my goal um, as a philosopher is um, both like pointing out some of the negative examples, but also my goal is to for us to further think about how can we use AI to develop, um, how can we design AI so that it can better help with um, the social structure to be moved into a more positive direction.
1: So AI sort of, detect certain patterns um, or attributes like qualities to a certain occupation, and then that further exacerbates like
2: bias? Yeah, yeah, so I mean, a lot of time is that. I think it happens especially um, common. When people do not pay enough attention on um, like how AI is interacting with the existing social um, injustice. And that um, the kind of design will then tend to just like replicate the existing problem, like racism or sexism. But I think once we get the awareness, then we can try to think about some of the strategies of how can we either like have a more um like representative data set or when we are choosing a reference standard we can be like more careful about that. And those are some of the small tips I think that can help us to design AI in a more ethical way.
0: Yeah, I think I think it's really great that your work deals with the more optimistic side of, of this looking <laughs> at, you know, solutions rather than, you know, examining the problems. On a more on a more personal level, I know that you received mm-hmm. a graduate certificate in women and gender studies from Rutgers mm-hmm. University. And so right. how does that kind of shape how you interact with your field in AI and in philosophy now?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. So I take the area of women gender studies is an area that's special um in a way that I think probably it is the um one of the few of areas that um primarily focusing on addressing oppression or social injustice. Um, And so although like women gender studies is like named as women and gender, so it definitely has a focus on women gender when it's developed. Um, But it actually like we know that women are not all the same, right? We have the women with different race from different country. And so um, one of the important like a concept in uh, women gender studies is the idea of intersectionality. Emphasize that lots of the different um, social structure or oppressions that interact with each other, and that make the kind of com- um, system of oppression more complicated and difficult to um, like tackle with. But it also reminds us that when we are doing the research, we need to pay attention to those kind of differences. And let's so um, studying like um, WGS kind of inspire me um, in a certain way when I'm. Doing the research on AI or ethics of AI. First, I think it always like helped me or inspired me to be more critical when I'm examining the kind of power relations that is embedded in the existing framework. So we talked about how technology or search engines might in a way like reinforce the existing social stereotypes. Mm-hmm. So that is a form of that. It made me feel more sensitive about that And um, it always reminds me to recognize that we are living in an imperfect world. So we cannot just assume that some of the technology can work so perfect when we are kind of assume uh, the background is like, so good. But actually, no, we are situated in this reality. So kind of begin from there. And then relevant to that point is that lots of time I um, do my research and from like observing the experience of people and especially the people in a marginalized position. So that's why when I'm thinking about algorithmic bias, I think that in order to tackle that, we should not just focusing on the technical design. But let's start from what kind of impact that algorithmic bias brings to people. And let's think about how can we kind of bridge that um, to the kind of more perfect ideal that we would like to approach.
1: Yeah, thank you. We also know that you have a big research interest in Taiwanese philosophy and obviously political and feminist philosophy. So yeah, wondering how has your positionality and your background sort of shaped what you do and your perspective on the AI world?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. So um, the part of um, research on Taiwanese philosophy. Oh, okay currently do not directly like interact with AI, but um, they are related or they are kind of underlying one of the broader research themes that I see myself as doing. Um, so that is the topic I mentioned a bit earlier when I'm talking about like power relations. So I'm actually like, um um, actively um, examine the kind of power relation that is unjust in our society. So that can happen when we are talking about technology or like politics, but it can also happen when we are talking about knowledge production. Like of why are some kind of philosophy uh, become more well-known or developed even better or that people uh, will um, be easier to buy and say, yeah, do th- we have like a German philosophy? But really, do we have African philosophy? So people have the kind of bias um, associated with knowledge production as well. So lots of my projects actually, like, I try to tackle this kind of power imbalances and to remind us um, some of the, this kind of spirit of um, decolonization and also to think about how can we achieve um, a kind of relationships or an engagement that is more equitable so that is how those projects not directly interact but capture some of the similar spirit.
1: that's really interesting and um we're wondering did you feel like you had to sort of pave your own path because we know it's a very specific field so Um, do you have any role models in your journey or did you sort of have to pave your own path?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, not a role model in a way that um, has the the same kind of career path, because for example, ethics is totally new area. So it's not really like that, but definitely have some of the role models. I think they are courageous enough um, in order to either like switch the area in a dramatic way, or that um brave enough to follow their own dreams um in order to and like um go along with kind of a adventurous journey. So those are some of the people It's not like one person in mind, but I I think it's probably some of the the teachers and some people are just like a a few years earlier than me. And some are actually like people in like a similar age, but I can see how sometimes when I chat with them and then see how they are making some of the move that they think is more passionate for them. And I think those things are really inspiring.
0: So looking ahead into the future, you talked about people who are not afraid to change their field. And so Mm. how do you think that when you look back on this very extensive career, you will measure what you've done and your impact? And what do you think, when you look back, you're gonna be most proud of from your career?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. But actually, I haven't thought about too much about how to measure the kind of impact. Or sometimes I feel that when I think in that way, it feels really daunting, and I remember that when I kind of I was kind of sticking into that kind of mindset when I begin my PhD career. And but when I'm thinking about what kind of choice that will make me become more impactful, I actually get stuck. And then I remember that when I'm at that time, and I chat with my dad and share the kind of like um problem, the issue that I'm facing. And one thing you reminded me is that there are actually lots of the factors that are external to you and outside of your control that will um, like uh, influence how much impact your project will really lead to. Yeah. So in a way, it's like uh, suggesting that I should focus in on the kind of factors that um, it's like really important for me, or it's like a really um, within the scope of my control. So I think right now, when I'm thinking about like whether how should I make some of the different choices between my career, I will what I value more is like. A, both um, like the voice of myself and also some of the um, relevant community or people surrounding me that I think that I hope my research can be in a way helpful or beneficial to them. So I think when I look back um, of some of the choices, I will always ask myself whether I um, try hard in order to figure out why I was making that decision. Was that true to myself? And was that something that I feel I was paying enough attention to the kind of communities that I care about and whether my, like some of my work right now helped them to put their voice in the kind of knowledge production process that I'm doing.
0: Yeah, I think that's a kind of listening to your inner voice and really questioning your motive for doing things. I think that's really applicable to anything that you really do in your career or in life.
2: Yeah, yeah, and I think then the rest of the um, impact and how maybe like many years after and how big it can be, it can bring about. I think I would just leave that to others to decide. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Um, and then lastly, so through these podcasts, we're trying to inspire young women like ourselves um, who are still trying to discover their own sort of career paths and passions. So we want to ask you, finally, if you could go back and give your high school self a piece of advice, um, mm-hmm. what would it be?
2: Yeah, I want to share maybe two things. One is um, to be open-minded. And by open-minded, I means that try to expose yourself to new kinds of opportunities or areas or communities even if you think i never have the similar kind of experience at all but as long as that's something that you think you are interested about and i would say expose yourself to that because you never know so like if back in high school because i was um, all the way until high school and even undergrad i was keep studying the more science and technology side and i didn't um it's probably due to a kind of social expectation. So lots of people, um, as parents back in Taiwan, and they want their kids to be um, taking the, uh, the major in like the um, technology and sciences related area. So humanities was something that I didn't pay too much attention about, even though I know I kind of like it. So, but I think it, being open-minded is something helpful and it actually bring me to um, the doors of it. And the second thing I want to share is um, don't be too afraid to take a detour. And when I say detour, I want to give it a quote-unquote. And when I describe my career track, you can see that I'm probably one of the examples of people taking detour. And that lots of times people will think that it's kind of a waste of time or that I'm now studying philosophy. I'm now doing something that I used to study back in the undergrad. But actually, I think it's not... Um, an accurate way to see um, how those different areas might connect with each other and lots of time is that the many of the beautiful things you can only see when you are taking those detours and lots of time that detour is not actually really a detour but it just exposes you to different perspectives or different angles and as long as you know what you're doing as long as you're listening to your inner voice I think many times your different experience and exposure that will circle back and then just help you to have a more, more diverse um, perspectives that help you to see things in different ways. And I th- I think those are very valuable things. That's really good
1: advice that we can all take with us because sometimes the things that we did ever everything we were going to find our careers on are the things that we become most passionate about. So thanks for sharing that.
2: Yeah, yeah no, I mean... If you can find something you're really passionate about, and then just keep doing that, that is also great. Mm-hmm. But just if that doesn't work for you, don't be, don't worry about it. Sometimes taking a detour, it's a great, great adventure.
0: Yeah, and I mean, you know, this quote-unquote detour has led you to some pretty amazing research that I think will really guide you later.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yes, yes, you never know. But yeah, follow that and just make sure that you are using your time and resources appropriately at every moment. Then I think all experience will have the value and that will ended up bringing you to some of the beautiful pictures that belong to you.
0: Yes. I do want to be mindful of your time and I think that's that's all your time that we've got today. But thank you again so very much for taking the time to speak with us. and. I know I've really enjoyed hearing about this remarkable journey you've been on and the work you've done. So thank you again. Thank
2: Thank you. Yeah. I hope some of the sharing will be helpful for people and and I'm always be here and happy to help.
0: Thank you so much, much. Ting.
2: Thank you. Bye. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to this
1: episode of Her Way. Be sure to look out for the next episode.
0: For more information, check out herwaypodcast.com and be sure to subscribe to our mailing list to get updates. See you next time.